Brian Chen from Foxo Technologies. Welcome to our series with the journal Aging. Um, today, uh, we have a previously recorded interview that I did with my former mentor and longtime collaborator, Dr. Steve Horvath, uh, reflecting back on some of the work that he's done on epigenetic clocks and epigenetic aging. So hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, and I think back to your first publication uh, back in 2011 on epigenetics and aging and age. And uh, now we're in 2022, it's, all, it's been over 10 years. Uh, um, and a lot has happened in that time. So uh, can you reflect now, I'm giving you this moment to think back and it's been a whirlwind, I know. What, yeah, how are you I'm feeling gonna... about it? Which directions are going that excite you? Um, yeah, I, you I, feel, I feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe to tell everybody um, the very first epigenetic clock in the modern definition of the word, you know, um, um, the term epigenetic clock has been used in previous publications, but my personal definition is it's a multivariate predictor of uh, age, you know, um, so a regression model is used. So that's so the very first, according to that definition, um, was published in 2011 um, as an accident, you know. So this was a study of uh, um, sexual orientation and um, where we had saliva samples from discord and twin pairs. Um, and um, there was no signal whatsoever for uh, sexual orientation in these men. And then... Um, but then I was very interested in aging effects. Um, and so, and then I, I discovered uh, that one can build these very accurate estimators of age. And at the time it was, it was a cute finding, right? You can spit in a cup, you can um, measure age. We all loved it. Um, and I should mention there was a, a, a student, doctoral student, uh, uh, Sven Bockland and my collaborator Eric Villain, who studies sexual orientation. And anyway, it was a curious finding, um, but it was largely ignored, you know. But we always hoped that one could develop a saliva based test, right? You take a buckle swab, you spit in a cup, and it tells you a lot. We were hoping that it's not just calendar age or chronologic age, we were hoping that it would predict mortality risk that it would be useful um, in the clinic. And um, by now, there are many companies that uh, commercialize that idea. Um, and the companies differ a little bit. Some collect uh, saliva, others collect blood, you know, but, um, I, um, but that idea um, has made so much progress through many people because the devil lies in the detail. You know, we had this prototype, we had the first study that showed feasibility, but the devil is in the detail. How do you reduce technical noise? How do you lower the costs? And I really have to 
be very grateful to um, the the field you know that took on that burden and um, by now people can do google searches find a company measure their epigenetic age <laughs> now um, i do want to say a bit as a caveat um, there are many clocks by now and um, the clocks um, have different properties they really do and I, I think you noticed that during my presentation i mean some clocks do relate to immunosenescence other clocks do not some clocks are wonderful predictors of mortality risk grim age uh, for example others like my pan tissue not really you know and so um they, the challenge right now that we face in the field is to um, create benchmark data so that people can evaluate these clocks. And um, it's also a communication problem. You know, imagine I publish a finding with clock A, another person publishes a finding with clock B. And um, we need to kind of be able to translate the, the results from one study to the other. You know? And um, we, of course, make our uh, software uh, available. Um, it's all publicly available. So, and um, I think it's good practice to evaluate many clocks at the same time. So in my early papers, we only had one clock um, that applied to different organs, so one or two. And, uh, but lately, I, I really evaluate four or five clocks. Um, and sometimes we get discordant results you know we find um, uh, condition a relates to um, to clock one but not clock two and um, for the average reader this this may be very frustrating you know but i have by now a pretty good intuition what i expect you know um, for example um, I, I know that my pan tissue clock and the skin and blood clock um, relate to stem cell properties. So um, whereas other clocks, Grimage, PhenoAge and EEAA relate to uh, um, immunosenescence and many other stress factors. So I, I have a pretty good understanding why some clocks relate and others don't. But you know, the, um, the average biologist can, can, cannot spend all that time, you know, learning the nuances of different clocks, you know. And so we, we really need to educate uh, people about it. Um, a drastic measure would be to not allow all of these clocks, right? One would say, take only the following five clocks for all future publications to enhance, you know, the. Um, the correspondence of findings and uh, but i don't want to do that because the the field is so active um, there's so much creativity i mean um, people have wonderful ideas to come up with ever more powerful epigenetic clocks new statistical mo models new training sets new uh, conditions for filtering cytosines you know so i'm i'm i just want that the field uh, um has this um, um, creative um, moment, you know, where many clocks will be developed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people that, that don't work with you and we've been uh, longtime collaborators for a, a while now, you are the kind of the open source version of research uh, where you've been publishing code uh, long before it was kind of the, the recent fad uh, so that people can verify uh, and improve upon uh, your work. 
So that's good. I've also been the biggest benefactor of this open science movement. You know, they, when I published the pan tissue clock, it was based on publicly available data. I, I didn't have a dollar in research funding. It was all downloaded data, you know. And so I, I want to give back. Um, for whenever I can, I deposit data in the public domain and gene expression omnibus, you know. So and but but in general, these initiatives um, have really led to I don't know how many millions or trillions of data points, you know. So it's really wonderful. Yeah. So you so you mentioned at the very uh, your last comment about you know the poor biologist or some new novice coming into this field. There's so many clocks out there, and you are the ex world's expert, so you understand which one you, they might look for for their application, but. Um, what are just as a cliff notes, what is your go to panel that you look for? And then is there a resource that you know of out there that kind of guides people as to where which one they might want to choose? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, people have gone through the exercise to write reviews, you know, um, I can tell you in a couple of sentences what I do, you know, it may help. Um, so first of all, when it comes to mortality risk, morbidity risk, and if I have blood or saliva, I would use Grimage. That's my primary clock. Now, for the sake of um, uh, sensitivity analysis, you know, I also then evaluate the PhenoH clock and also EEAA, the Hanum clock, you know, and. Um, so, so I often publish that in supplements, you know, so there's a primary clock and secondary clocks, um, just to convince myself um, that uh, the results are semi-robust, you know, because in a best case scenario, you have, for example, an anti-aging intervention, let's say vegetable intake, and in a best case scenario, it shows a beneficial effect according to all of these clocks which by the way is the case, you know, <laughs> vegetable intake does relate in the way or um, so anyway, however, in a different application, for example, HIV infection, HIV infection has an effect on blood cell composition. And in certain ways, it's a trivial finding to say HIV affects blood cell composition or take COVID, COVID affects blood cell composition. Um, then I actually would not use Grimage or PhenoH. I, I, why? Because they are confounded by blood cell types. Rather, I would go back to my pan tissue clock or the skin and blood clock, which measure more properties of hematopoietic stem cells. And there's another application um, related to precursors of leukemia. So the so-called uh, somatic mutation in TET enzymes and DNMTs lead to clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate potential. But again, it afflicts uh, hematopoietic stem cell. Again, I would use the pan tissue clock, you know. So um, when it comes to in vitro studies, there's a clear winner, skin and blood clock. I would use that as primary readout, you know. And that's already it, you know, <laughs> in, in my papers. Um, uh, some people will say, well, Horvath should use um, clock XYZ. And by, by, I, I agree with that. They're wonderful new clocks that have been uh, developed. 
Um, but I just want to tell you what um, I use in my papers at this point. Without value judgment, I wouldn't say they're better than others that are out there. Yeah, so I think the bottom line is, sure, evaluate all clocks out there, but there's going to be hundreds and thousands eventually, and you got to pick. You know, it's not. A I always say it's not a democracy. You know, not all clocks are equal. Yeah. <laughs> I use another metaphor: uh, vehicles. You know, the the fields of epigenetic clocks um, produces all these vehicles. You have the Ferrari for racing. You have the truck. Uh, you know, you have the tractor. Um, you have a jeep these vehicles serve very different purposes you know and so uh, don't uh, apply the wrong clock to the wrong setting you know right. having said this they all all vehicles are mode of transportation one way or another you know so there is a commonality you know mm -hmm. yeah I, I think that also focusing on clocks that other people have published on that are already somewhat more established those are those would be what i would prioritize because there's already a lot of information that you can compare to so those are my two cents um and then i think the other point to make is you do have an online calculator that's free uh and the data is not stored anywhere it you, they up people upload it it calculates it it destroys the data, but it gives them, emails them a report that has all of those clocks. And this is a nice way for uh, when you're publishing a paper on, in your methods section to have something that's standardized and reproducible. That's correct. The, the code is available, absolutely. Yeah. I want to mention for the future, um, lately, um, both you and I, we've worked on animal clocks you know in your case you have a wonderful array for mouse studies and um but yeah there are really a lot of clocks for mice i need to tell you yeah. uh, different mouse tissues we have pan tissue clocks but also uh, um, um, clocks that are specific to maybe ear samples or blood samples or liver samples but then there's a new generation of clocks. We call it third generation clocks. And these clocks apply to multiple mammalian species at the same time. Um, and the purpose is to enhance uh, the translatability of research findings. You know? So imagine you do have a mouse study. You do show that an intervention rejuvenates the mouse according to an epigenetic clock. You would like to increase the odds that this finding translates to humans. And one way to do it is to look at cytosines that are highly conserved between all mammalian species. And more than that, to use the same formula, the same regression model to measure age, both in mice and in humans at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is what I call a third generation clock. And um, they have um, recently become available. So we have uh, dual species clocks, human mice, human dog, human cat, human pig, human anything, you know, so mm -hmm. um, look out for that. But I, um, so there are already a couple of studies that have used these uh, multi-species clocks. Um, but I, I hope that um, they will turn out to be useful, you know, so I, I, I'm kind of uh, sitting here with a bated breath and see whether this third generation of clock um, um, fulfills their promise, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, so you alluded to the multi-species uh, clocks, and then uh, so that's one direction that you and your group is moving towards. Uh, what are some other kind of new, interesting, exciting areas that you see yourself or others, or your other trainees have gone in um, currently? Yeah, on? so there's um, many people work on this idea. I want to call it single cell methylation clock, but um, one doesn't have to be too rigorous, uh, let's just say clocks that can deal with a very low amount of input DNA. You know? So typically all the clocks I've shown you use, let's say 250 nanogram of DNA. And so roughly speaking, maybe 100,000 cells or so. And, um, but can we lower the requirement so, uh, on DNA so that we can measure methylation age, maybe in a thousand cells, you know? So, um, or as an endpoint in a single cell, you know, and um, I remember Vadim Gladyshev has a single cell clock, methylation clock, but this is a very active area. The whole field wants to have that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, then people develop very precise clocks for forensic applications. It's similar, as I said, in forensic applications, you often have only um, very little DNA available, you know, so, and to, now a forensic clock does not want to aim, uh, does not want to estimate mort mortality risk or morbidity risk, not interesting, right? Yeah. Um, rather, um, for forensic application, you want very accurate measure of chronologic age, you know, and um, so it's a slightly different task, you know, and, um, but the other very big area of research um, is really to understand the biology of the clocks, right? <laughs> All the clocks that I described were um, developed using machine learning um, methods. And um, there's so much work to be done to understand which pathways, which transcription factors relate, you know. Um, and uh, um, I think um, we have um, really um, managed to gain quite a lot of insights into the biology of these clocks. I mentioned various progeria, but there are many other conditions that have been associated. There, there are genetic studies of epigenetic clocks, which SNPs uh, relate to epigenetic age acceleration. Um, we published a paper where we described 137 novel SNPs, genome-wide significant for various epigenetic clocks, you know, and um, yeah, so just more biology, more genetic studies, you know. And of course, um, the most exciting thing for me are human clinical trials, you know. I want that these clocks will be used as surrogate endpoints in human clinical trials of anti-aging interventions, you know. But, um, so, yeah. So in those, in those clinical trials, which uh, clock do you think is the most important to look at? Yeah, I mean, if you force me, I, I would go with grim age, you know, at this point. Um, now, the great question is whether a grim age um, um, shows reversal for gold standard interventions, you know. So um, imagine we have a, a gold standard means is it truly prolongs human life, you know. And um, so it would be nice to demonstrate that such an intervention actually has the expected effect on GRIMAGE. After one or two years of this gold standard treatment, GRIMAGE is reversed by, let's say, five years. 
but there's a problem. We don't have a single gold standard <laughs> intervention for humans that at least that affects the methylome. I mean, um, I'm, I'm a bit ridiculous. We, we obviously have medications for hypertension, right? We have uh, medications for lowering cholesterol, all of these uh, or, or various diabetes drugs. Yes, they uh, prolong lifespan, you know. But um, some of them may not affect the methylome, you know, but, um, but these are very important studies, I would say, you know, to um, show whether interventions that both prolong human lifespan and have an effect on the methylome, that they have the expected behavior um, on um, uh, the expected effect on these clocks. Yeah. So certainly we don't, we don't know what those gold standard interventions are. Usually they're just like you, your lifetime uh, uh, eating right, sleeping well, you know, uh, all those things, but there's no clinical trials to, to, to yeah, prove. These lifestyle well. factors have all been linked to grimage, no question. Yeah. So Good. obesity, smoking, and exercise, all of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, and then for mice, I think in some of the epigenetic clocks with mice, they've, they've looked at but there are gold standard interventions that extend life known in laboratory yeah. animals. Yeah, in mice, I want to say we're really, really close to nailing it. I, you know, there's no question. We have clocks that, uh, mouse clocks that show the expected behavior with respect to caloric restriction, growth hormone receptor knockout leading to dwarf mice. Um, even parabiosis, this idea of the young plasma, you know. So in, um, in mice, um, there um, are very exciting results, you know. Yeah. Question is whether these results for mice um, then translate to um, whether these insights, you know, allow you to develop human clocks, you know, that um, have that expected behavior. Right, because you now understand the biology, and so you don't have to rely on the machine learning so much to... Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's kind of the idea, right? Understand the biology in a mouse or um, other animal model, and then use that insight to build what I call causal clocks. You know, Causal um, clocks um, means if you rejuvenate um, age according to a causal clock, there's a guaranteed benefit for your health span, you know, for, for human health span. That's my definition of a causal clock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, certainly, uh, you know, th thanks for this discussion today. It was great to go down through memory lane with you. Uh, I know we intersected at multiple points there and then um, super exciting time for humans, also for mice even more so because now we're really close to understanding the biology of their aging using these clocks. So, but um Congratulations on uh, a, at least a decade's worth of work. Uh, I know firsthand that that's that you're juggling, juggling a lot, uh, and but I think that you've advanced this field uh, pretty fast relative to other fields that I've uh, seen. Oh, th thanks so much. Above all, I was very, very lucky. Right time. Timing is everything, you know, so <laughs> it's, um, yeah. Thank you so much, Brian.